0: to see you here this morning to be with us in worship in the early service. Hope you've had a a great week. Take your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and uh, be making your way to Revelation chapter 20. In our study, we've uh, come to this great chapter in the book of Revelation, the millennial kingdom of Christ. But before we get there, you'll want to hold your place there in Revelation 20 and go to Isaiah 65, Isaiah 65, beginning of verse 17. Verse 17. We're going to think for a few minutes this morning about the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Throughout the Bible, the Bible is replete with promises of a coming kingdom that we might call a utopia period, a time when the world will be right, uh, people will be right. Uh, It's a time when there'll be no social injustices. It's a time when prosperity and plenty will be the norm of the day for all people. Uh, It'll be a time when fair laws are in place and obeyed. It'll be a time when the government is perfect. We've not reached that time yet. It'll be a time uh, when there's a perfect king on the throne. There's one who will lead the world. In that day, uh, the world will be what God wants it to be. Jesus will rule with a rod of iron and uh, he will provide. There will be no poverty, uh, no, no hospitals full of people. It will be his kingdom, and he will rule. Now, the Bible describes that uh, in the passage in Revelation 20 we're going to look at this morning, but it also describes it in Isaiah 65. And I want to read Isaiah's description of this kingdom before we move to Revelation 20 just to show you that God's been revealing this, this time uh, throughout the Bible. So look at Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17. Now, Isaiah received this from God, obviously. And God speaking through Isaiah said, "'For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind.'" Now, just by way of running commentary here, the new heaven and a new earth, we find out in Revelation is gonna happen after the millennial kingdom. God's gonna have the great white throne judgment and bring in a new heaven and new earth. Isaiah, as many Old Testament prophets didn't see the church. He didn't didn't know there was going to be any such thing as a church. He certainly didn't know about a 1,000-year millennial kingdom, but you can't fault him for that because really the 1,000 years is just the beginning of eternity, and it's just a blip on the radar as eternity begins. So Isaiah simply says uh, God reveals to him there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, meaning this one's going to be replaced, uh, and God's going to create a new heaven and new earth. And I was thinking we could really get tied up in this, and I'll try not to how beautiful the earth is now, tainted with sin. I mean, if you, if you travel around the earth now, you see the beauty of creation, and you see how wonderful uh, But it's tainted by sin. It's been ruined by sin, if you will. Think of how beautiful the new creation is going to be, the new heaven and the new earth. It's never been touched by sin, and that's what God said through Isaiah here. Now look at verse 18 of Isaiah 65. Uh, God said, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem of rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, says God here, and joy in my people, the voice of weeping nor the voice of crying. Perhaps that's why John says Jesus will wipe away all tears. Because Isaiah, God said right here, there will be no more crying, no more weeping, no more sorrow in my kingdom. He said, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and my people, verse 20. No more shall an infant. From there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner shall be a 100 years old and shall be accursed. That that seems a little convoluted, but it's very simple. Here's what he's saying. In that kingdom, people have the potential to live for a 1,000 years. So a person that's 100 years old is still a babe, okay? And he's saying that time won't be the same there. In the kingdom age, a person could live the entire period of time there'll be no more early deaths there'll be no more stuff out of order and since Jesus will rule with a rod of iron the wicked won't get away with it they'll be judged right away in other words he'll know from Jerusalem uh Sherry and I were talking about this the other day it's going to be incredible when Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem in his kingdom and somebody in the western hemisphere breaks one of his commands he's going to know it immediately and they're going to be brought to justice immediately there's going to be no no uh, well I got away with it or no no Jesus knows you say, how does he know? Because he's God. And he knows all things. He knows the very intent of our heart. So he'll rule, and that's what he's saying there. Verse 21 of Isaiah 65. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Listen, people will go into the kingdom age in human bodies like we have right now, and they will work, and they'll plant, and they'll build houses, and they'll have businesses, and they'll, they'll, have, they'll be an economy, and they'll work. But it will be perfect because it'll be under the rulership of Jesus Christ. It'll be under his leadership. Verse 22, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Oh, well, I'll be careful. There's no socialism there. Just pointing that out, okay? They enjoy the work of their hands. They labor. They have personal property. In fact, God says right there, they're going to build their house, and they live in it. Because they built it, they God's gonna have an economy. Jesus will have an economy in this in his kingdom, and people will work. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. They shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Verse 24, it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The one of the blessings of the kingdom for those who will be here in their in their human bodies. Is when they pray, Jesus is going to be hearing and answering before they get done, because he's he's sitting in Jerusalem and he's going to know when they pray, and he's going to know what they're asking for. And then look at verse twenty-five. Here's the uh, apparently the 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 animal kingdom's going to change a little bit. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Never been a time like that on earth before. Never, never been a time like that. Now, men have longed for that. Dictators have tried to build kingdoms and say, oh, you know, we're going to have a dictatorship and it'll be perfect. Never been a time like that, but there will be because Jesus is coming back and it's going to be his kingdom. Now, when we get to Revelation 20, we are privileged in the New Testament to have the complete canon of Scripture, which Isaiah didn't have. And so now we can understand a little more detail about what Isaiah was saying. So look at Revelation chapter 20. Now, we know from last week that the tribulation, seven years, at the end, there'll be this battle of Armageddon. Uh, Antichrist, the false prophet, Antichrist will bring his armies against Christ. They'll surround Jerusalem, and Jesus will appear from heaven with the armies of heaven. He'll come back. He'll speak. The armies of Antichrist will be destroyed. We, we learned last week that millions upon millions will die, bodies everywhere. Uh, God will bring justice, and we, we begin to see what will happen immediately after that battle, which won't last long, Jesus will speak, in verse 1 of chapter 20. Look at it. By the way, chapter 19 into chapter 20 is chronological. Uh, you can study this chapter particularly about the millennial kingdom, and there are, there are premillennialists, amillennialists, uh, and mid You can study those things, but if you follow this chronologically, what I'm saying is it, it reads literally like it's written, meaning one follows the other. Everybody understand that? It's a 1,000-year kingdom is what I'm telling you. It's literal, okay? Look at verse 1, Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel, John said, coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit, the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. Verse 2, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent uh, of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Now watch this. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. Uh, Jesus will destroy the, the armies of the Antichrist. And then we saw last week that Antichrist and the false prophet uh, will be captured. They won't be killed during the battle. They will be captured. Now, they, they are the leaders of the rebellion against Jesus, if you will, um, and we saw last week that they are thrown alive into the eternal lake of fire. I explained last week so that we remember that hell or Hades that we read about in the Bible now and the place where people go when they die now without Jesus Christ is not the permanent eternal place of punishment. It is a place of punishment, but that Hades or hell will be cast into the lake of fire at the end, which is the final punishment place for all those who rejected Christ. Antichrist and the false prophet will be the first two people to go into the lake of fire and they'll go on alive. Now, what happens to Satan? Because he's the chief leader of rebellion. He's the one who orchestrated the whole thing. Well, we're told right here that God uh, authorizes, if you will, or empowers an angel to come from heaven and to bind him. Now, we don't know who this angel is. I mean, Michael's been involved, the archangel Michael's been involved in in dealing with Satan in the past. We've seen that in the Bible. Maybe it's Michael, maybe it's not. It really doesn't matter which angel it is because if God empowers him to have authority over Satan, Satan can't do a thing about it. So this angel, whoever he is, comes. Now, the key represents uh, uh, authority and the chain represents the power to bind him. Um, If you want to take it literally that, you know, he's got this big keychain hanging on his side when the angel comes swooping down and he opens up the abyss, you know, okay, if that makes you feel good, that's fine. But the fact is, the abyss is a place of incarceration. We know right now from our previous studies in Revelation that there are are demons there who are particularly bad that God has incarcerated there in the abyss right now. They're not free to roam around. During the tribulation, God's going to let them loose which will be bad for those people that are here during the tribulation. But Satan is gonna be bound by this angel and put into this pit uh, for 1,000 years. is millennial, okay? It's a millennial kingdom, it's 1,000 years long. And Satan will be bound in that pit for that period of time. Now, why is God gonna you know, bind Satan and lock him up for 1,000 years during the millennial kingdom of Christ? Well, it tells us so that he cannot deceive the nations. The Bible says right now that he's like a, a roaring lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Satan will ruin your day if you let him. I mean, Satan, Satan and, his, and his demons are out to cause trouble and particularly um, among God's people in his church because he wants to hinder the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way he can do that is by messing with us and messing with the church. Now, the good news is he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. So if we trust God and we put our faith in him and we trust the Holy Spirit and we and we resist our sin and we trust him, God will give us victory over temptation and over the things of the world. But what God's gonna do during the millennial kingdom is he's gonna actually bind Satan and lock him up so that he can't go out and do that stuff. He can't go out during the kingdom of Christ. In other words, while Jesus is sitting on the throne, in Jerusalem for a thousand years, ruling over the world. Satan can't go out and lead people to rebel against Jesus. Satan can't go out and lead people into sin. He'll be incarcerated until that 1,000 years is over. Now, at the end of this thing, at the end of the millennial kingdom, God will release Satan for a short period of time. Again, Sharon and I were talking about this. By the way. She's a real trooper. She gets the sermon way before you get it because we're, you know, we're sitting around talking and uh, so she's heard most of this already this week. When God lets him loose out of the pit at the end of the thousand years, he's going to go out into the world of that time. Now think about this, Get, get your mind around this. Jesus will have been sitting literally on the throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. The generation that came out of the tribulation were saved. They went into the thousand years and they had children and they had children. And there's there's a thousand years of generations of people who have had children, built homes. Some of them may be a thousand years old if they follow Jesus and they didn't, you know, didn't rebel against him because Jesus' old rod of iron thing is serious. He, he won't be putting up with any nonsense during the kingdom. Let's say they go through this whole kingdom having children in the next generation, and the next generation for a thousand years. It is my, it is my Suggestion that the earth will be populated in a way it's never known before in a thousand years of no war or death or any of that kind of stuff That the world will be crowded. We have seven or eight billion people on the planet now I think there will be more than that at the end of the thousand years end of the millennial kingdom Just my proposition there Satan will go out among those masses And he will lead a rebellion against Jesus Again, get your mind around this. Jesus has been sitting on the throne for a thousand years, ruling the world. Satan's going to get turned loose and go out and turn people against Jesus. You say, how could Satan turn people against Jesus when he's been when they see him, when when he's sitting there, they hear him, they've probably witnessed the whole wrought iron, you know, thing. How how could Satan do that? And here's the answer: even those people that will be born in the millennial kingdom have to trust Jesus by faith and be saved. They can see him, we, you know, we see him by faith, they'll be able to see him literally, but they still have to put their faith in him to be saved. Why? Because they will be born with the same Adamic sin nature in that generation, they'll just be living in utopia. Now watch this, are you ready? For the early morning understanding, put your mind around this. What do we hear today from philosophers and psychologists and all? Man, if we just, if we just create enough environment for people, if we just put them in the right environment, they'll be good. Or we hear that, or we hear that, you know, people, and this kills me. People are inherently good, we just gotta find it in them. Okay. Listen to what this says right here. These people for a thousand years are gonna live in the best social environment humanity has ever known. Sin won't be allowed, no nonsense. Jesus is ruling, here's the law. And in and, and, and that law is an immense blessing. Nobody's hungry, plenty of food. How The economy's always good. Nothing bad ever happens. There's no war, no famine, no disease, there's no COVID, there's nothing, right? Every, every, it's perfect. You would think if man had any good in him at all, you'd find it in that situation, wouldn't you? In other words, it might come to the top and you would go, oh, Jesus might sit on his throne and go, well, look, they're pretty good after all. No, no. Satan's gonna get, is gonna be released from the pit and immediately go out. And the amazing thing is people will believe him. They'll follow him. Satan will go, hey, here's an idea. Let's rebel against Jesus. And the people will go, yeah, I like that idea. Let's do it. No, you know what this speaks to? The utter utter hopelessness of man's heart and sin. The The utter depravity of our lostness without Jesus Christ. That it, that it just reminds us that it takes Jesus to change a, a man or woman's heart so they'll be different. We aren't inherently different and no amount of social, uh, social manipulation and, and good surroundings will change a broken heart. Only Jesus can do that. And so all these people in the millennial kingdom who, who, uh, who won't believe in Jesus even though they see him and they won't trust him to, to forgive their sin they're going to follow Satan. Like the sands of the sea, it'll tell us in just a minute, they will come against Christ to no avail. Now, with all that in mind, look at verse 4, verses 4 to 10. And we'll try to move quickly so we get through all this. Look at verses 4 to 10. Here's the reign of Christ described. Now, John said, I saw thrones. And they sat on them. There, in other words, there's people sitting on them, thrones plural, not just the throne of Christ, but other thrones. And judgment was committed to them, meaning authority. Authority. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Listen, in this passage, it talks about a literal thousand years like six times. It's literal. I just keep pointing that out because you're going to read, if you read on this passage, there'll be a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, that's symbolic and it's not real. No, listen to me. Jesus is physically going to sit on the throne in Israel for a thousand years and rule the world. He just said it again right there, verse five. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Verse six, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse seven, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Verse 8, it will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and ever. How long is Forever. Forever, this a long time, no end. Think about what we just read there. Let's kind of think about some high points here. First of all, there's the throne of Jesus Christ. He's king, he's God. And then John said, I saw other thrones and people sitting on them and they have authority. They rule with them. Who is that? And who are those people sitting on thrones and who's ruling with Jesus? Well, there are different groups of people. You will remember that I shared with you last week that God's been saving people since the Garden of Eden. I believe Adam and Eve got saved. You say, how do you know that? Well, God gave them a sacrificial system, and the next thing you know, you see their kids doing it. Why? Because mom and daddy were doing it, okay? So I think Adam and Eve came back, came to God the way he gave them by faith, and they were saved. We'll find out when we get to heaven, okay? Adam would be a cool guy to talk to, wouldn't he? Adam. I need to talk to you, man, sit down. I really wanna know how this whole Garden of Eden thing went. He probably don't wanna talk about it, but, uh, but listen, Adam and Eve, all the, way, all the way up till now, in all of those generations of, of humanity, God has been saving people the same way by faith. But think about it, all of those different groups of people had, had different amounts of revelation. They had different levels of understanding. Old Testament saints before the flood didn't understand what the saints after the flood understood because then God gave them the law and called Israel and had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the law. We understand more in the New Testament about God because we have the completed canon of scripture and we have, we have the church born at Pentecost. We have way more information than Isaiah had that he couldn't put all this together. And yet God saved people out of every one of those generations. So here are the people sitting on those thrones. First of all, they're Old Testament saints. In Daniel chapter seven, verse 27, God promised his Old Testament saints, you can rule with me. So there are gonna be some of those Old Testament saints on those thrones ruling with Jesus. And I'll explain what that means in a minute. The apostles in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus told the apostles, you 12, you guys will sit on thrones ruling over Israel with me. You're gonna have have that right, I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, How about the church? Has Jesus promised us that we can rule with him? Yep. If you're a born again child of God, you get to rule with Jesus. In fact, a couple of passages, 1 Corinthians 6.2, 2 2 Timothy 2.12, God said, if you endure, you live your life, you're a born again child of God, you can rule with me. And then the martyred tribulation saints, which John talked about here, those who who had their heads cut off, those who were, were persecuted and and abused because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast. Jesus said, you can rule with me in that kingdom. Now, what does it mean to rule with Christ? Well, I've said before, I don't know what all that's going to tell, but here's what, I think it, here's what I think it's going to look like. You're not going to have a throne that looks like Jesus, just a smaller one, okay? You're not going to, get to sit around on that thing all day. What I believe it means is as Jesus administrates his kingdom, there is a delegation of responsibilities. As a born-again child of God, you will have the responsibility to take care of something in the kingdom of Christ that he tells you to take care of. I don't know what that will be. I don't know what your job will be. I don't know what my job will be. But this idea of sitting around in heaven on a little fluffy cloud with a harp, you know, spending your day with the little reef plant—that's not what the Bible describes. The eternity, the kingdom of Christ that leads into eternity, is a is a kingdom in eternity filled with with doing things, with doing something, and to rule with Christ means that he will uh, he will say to us. This is your job, I want you to administrate this. And here's the best part. <clears throat> we will be able to do what Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, gives us to do and we'll be able to do it perfectly because we will be in our perfect resurrection body. We will be in our sinless state and he will give us the authority and the power to do it and we'll do it. Now, I don't know what those things will be. <clears throat> when you're preaching, you hate it. when So whatever it is God gives us to do, you will rule with him under his authority. And that's why John sees the thrones. And not that Again, not that there's Jesus' throne, uh, and then there's a whole bunch of us sitting around on thrones with him, you know, with our little crowns on. That's not what it looks like. <clears throat> and for eternity, we will have something to do. We will have things to do. Now, again, we could spend a lot of time trying to think this thing through. In your resurrection body, you don't have sleep. And I've often said in this life, man, if I didn't have to sleep, you know how much I could get done? I mean, you know, if you didn't have to like spend six hours a night sleeping or however long you take. (coughs) But in heaven, we won't have to sleep. So whatever it is we're doing, and and by the way, once eternity begins, there's no nighttime. It's just like daytime all the time. I like that too. So again, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Let me say this is there any reason if you're watching this online or you're here this morning and you're not saved, is there any reason you wouldn't want to be saved right now? You're thinking, man, I want some of that. I want want to, you know, I want to be in on that part because listen, the alternative of being lost is coming up in just a minute and you don't want to be part of that crowd, okay? Now he says right here in verses five and six, look at it. He said, these people that are ruling with him, um, are part of, of, of really what's called the, the first resurrection. And there's the first and second resurrection. Look at verses five and six, but the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. <clears throat> the first resurrection is unto life. The first resurrection has all the parts we talked about last last week. When Jesus died on the cross, graves opened up and people came out. When he rose from the dead, people resurrected. There wasn't a general resurrection, but I believe those people came out of the graves as a first fruit, as an indication of what's going to happen. When he comes back to rapture the church, we're going to get, we're going to get called out of here. People who have died in Christ will be resurrected. Their new resurrection bodies will be changed in an instant, in a moment, and we'll go meet Jesus in the air. The Old Testament saints and the martyred saints of the tribulation won't be resurrected till the end of the tribulation. All of that's the first resurrection. Anybody who gets resurrected unto life to rule with Christ is part of the first resurrection uh, unto life. Now, every single lost person for all of humanity who has died without Jesus Christ will be part of the second resurrection. The second resurrection is always unto death. There will be nobody unto life in the second resurrection. And that resurrection will take place at the end of the millennial kingdom at the great great white throne judgment of Christ. Now, let's talk about uh, judgment for just a minute. The judgment will begin with Antichrist, the false prophet and Satan. The, The Antichrist and the false prophet went into the lake of fire at the end of the battle of Armageddon, the beginning of the kingdom satan will be bound thrown into the abyss but when it's all over when he leads the rebellion right when he's let go and he leads the rebellion against jesus christ uh fire is going to come down from heaven and destroy all those people who follow satan to rebel against christ then satan himself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire look at verse 10 again the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone now watch this where the beast and false prophet are pause there for a minute They've been in there a thousand years, right? Because they went in right after the Battle of Armageddon before the Millennial Kingdom began. This is the end of the Millennial Kingdom. Now Satan's being thrown in there. And it's interesting that John says, Satan's being thrown in the lake of fire where the false prophet and the Antichrist is, meaning they're still alive and they're still there. Don't miss that. It means they they hadn't burned up. They're not annihilated, meaning they they have been in, in torment, Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth for a thousand years, and they're still there, and now Satan's joining them. So, this idea when people say, Well, you know, when you die, that's all over. Mm, No, it's not. When you die, it's just beginning. When you leave this this life, it's just getting started. You want to make sure, listen to me, you want to make sure that when you leave this life, you're getting started in the right place, okay? Because you're going to get started somewhere, either with Jesus or in hell make the right choice, come to Christ today. So Satan's gonna go to the pit. Now, after all that, you say, what's the last thing to happen? Verse 11, Revelation 20, look at it. This is the last thing before the new heaven, new earth and eternity begins. John said, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no, there was found no place for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell, there it is, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. That's where people go now when they die without Christ. And they were judged, everyone according to their what? Their works, the things they did, their deeds in life, their choices, their decisions, All against God, okay? Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now look at verse 15, very ominous. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The final judgment described here is is like this. After the millennial kingdom, Satan leads the rebellion. Fire comes down out of heaven, destroys them. Satan gets thrown into the lake of fire. Then John said, there'll be a great white throne and I believe Jesus will be the judge because the Father said all judgments has been given to the Son. I think Jesus is the judge. He's the judge, he's the jury, he's the executioner. Every single lost person that will be then resurrected, and here's how it'll go. Those who, are, who have died were just destroyed by the fire when they rebelled against Jesus, they will be resurrected in a body fitted for the eternal lake of fire, and they will stand in front of Jesus. And each individual person will stand in front of Christ and give an account of the decisions they made in life and be judged for them. You say, well, why would God do that? Because he's fair, because he's just. And you really have one of two choices. You can come to Christ today and allow God to pay your sin debt. And he will, and he'll write paid in full, He'll forgive all your sin and he'll give you his life and you can be part of the first resurrection. Or you can reject Jesus, which many do, and you can find yourself standing in front of Jesus on this judgment day, giving an answer for your life and it's not gonna be good because no one at this judgment is gonna be saved. They're all lost. Hell will deliver up all those from all of humanity for judgment. If someone died at sea and their body's obliterated and gone or somebody was cremated, God's gonna bring them back. God knows where all their molecules are at. He knows he's gonna bring them back and they're gonna stand in front of him. There's no getting out of it. We had a neighbor one time, my dad used to tell him about Jesus all the time. We lived out out on a three mile long dirt road and uh, your car got dirty every time you left the house. Three mile dirt road. And our neighbor used to come over to the fence all the time. He would go, Man, we're like them dogs. When you die, it's just over. My dad says, No, it's not. It's not over. It's just getting started. And we'd tell him about Jesus. Listen, God's going to bring them all back. They're going to stand there. Look, the books are open, plural. What is that? That's the record of everything we've done. I don't want that book read about me. How about you? Mm, man, I don't, I, I, that book can stay closed. What do you think? Here's the good news. If you're in Jesus, God erase that book. It's, not, it's no more. He said when we get saved, he puts our sin as far as Jesus from the West, puts it behind him, and he don't look at it anymore. And if God the Father don't look at it anymore, ain't nobody else looking at it anymore, right? We're not looking at it anymore. But a lost man, a lost one's going to have to stand in front of Jesus, and the books are going to be open. And I don't know how this process is going to go. I don't know if some angel over there with the little green shade on and his glasses are going, all right, you know, you know, Albert Einstein or whoever, I don't know, you know, he starts reading this thing. How uncomfortable would I be? Because the evidence is gonna be presented to the court and Jesus is gonna say guilty and that's gonna be it. So the books are open and then the, the, the book of life. What's that book about? Well, if you're saved, your name's in there. Your name's written in there. Now we're not gonna argue right now about when your name got in there, but your name's in there, okay? If you're a born-again child of God, your name's in the book of life. You say, well, why will it be at the great white throne judgment? I don't know, but here's my supposition. Inevitably, somebody's gonna say, but I was saved. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, they'll say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And what would Jesus say to them? Depart from me, because I didn't know you. Meaning you you weren't ever really saved, you just were religious. Member of a church, you just did religious stuff. You didn't really come to me and get saved. That will happen at the great white throne judgment. Inevitably, somebody's going to go, but wait, I was a preacher. I was a missionary. I was a Sunday school teacher. I sang in the choir. I I suppose Jesus says, say, open the book. Is the name in there? Your name's not in there. You know why your name in there? Because you were never saved. I didn't know you. Depart from me, you work iniquity yikes and say man pastor this stuff's not very encouraging it is if you're saved i get you if you're lost you'll be scared to death right now if you're saved don't bother me a bit i mean i feel bad listen it ought to it ought to make you an evangelist is what it ought to do think up think about this and we'll close how many people outside of this building right now and i know there are other christians who understand this In in percentage of the population of the world, how many people out there that you pass every day have any idea this is coming? No clue. They're just living their life, man. They're just driving to work, going to the gas station, going to the grocery store, going to the ball game, watching the TV, raising their kids, and they have no clue what's coming. That's sad. Because whose job is it to tell them? Us. And we know. We know. And man, we should be scared for them. We should be worried for them. Oh, right, I listen, man. You look at lost people walking around in a day. Satan has them blinded. I have a clue, but you know, I said this stuff don't scare me at all. You know why? Because I'm in the first resurrection. How about you? I'm in the first resurrection. When Jesus calls the church out of here, I'm going. Even if I die physically before Jesus comes back, I'm going to be with him. And when he calls his church out of this world, I'm getting a new body. Listen, you're not going to float around. Let's just deal with some of this stuff. I know you're thinking about it. Well, Pastor, what happens to us if we die before Jesus comes back? Am I going to have a body? Or am I just going to be this ethereal spirit floating around up there? You know, No, the indication is when, when, when Paul and John and them guys talk about people who are in heaven before the rapture of the church, they're in a physical form of some kind. You just don't have your permanent, eternal resurrection body yet. You're not gonna be floating around, you know, in an ethereal state like a ghost uh, waiting for your body. No, you'll, you'll have some kind of physical form. It just won't be the permanent form, and the Bible doesn't speak to that, so we shouldn't worry about it. Why do we spend so much time trying to figure out what the Bible don't talk about? But the point is, you're gonna be with Jesus, and then you're gonna get a new resurrection body. And the most important part of this is, this stuff's gonna happen. And if you know Jesus, you're in the right crowd, okay? You're in the group that wins. You're in, the, you're in the group that's with Jesus, that comes back with them, to rule with them and to reign with them. And then, and then listen, the, the, the microcosm of, of what happens in a thousand years will happen for eternity. Be a new heaven and a new earth. New Jerusalem's gonna come down where we're gonna live. And and it's not gonna be like this nebulous thing where we don't know, no, the Bible says that we will be known in heaven as we are known here. I'm gonna know who you are. You're gonna know who I am and I'll pass Bill on the streets up there somewhere and go, hey, Bill, nice time in eternity, isn't it? And I don't know what we're gonna be able to do. I don't know what, you know, what all work Maybe I'll pass Bill and he's got his heavenly lunch pail and I got mine and I'm going to work and he's going to work and to do whatever Jesus, I don't know how that's gonna work. But I do know this, we'll get to talk to Jesus every day. We'll get to see him. If we got a question, we can ask him. Oh man, I could get going here. Do you know science says that we use a very small portion of our brain and some of us less than others, but we, but in, in the capacity of our brains, science tells us that our that our mental capacity should is really is astronomical. Well, you know what happened? God made Adam to be this really smart guy. Because he could ask God questions and learn about eternity and and commune with God and learn and ask God questions and, and have the ability to understand it. And then he sinned. And we got dumb. We got we got we got less smart because of sin, less capacity. I mean, God, we have a hard enough time with this, don't we? I mean, God's here, here, let me, let me give you a book and you chew on that till you get here and then I'll, then I'll fill you in on the rest of it, okay? That's the problem. But when your resurrection body and my resurrection body, I'll be able to ask Jesus a question and actually understand what he says to me. I'll be able to go, oh yeah, I never thought of that. That's pretty cool. Only God would come up with that. I mean, I, that, you know, that'll be our response and worship him and praise him. Now, I like reading this stuff. I don't know if you do. I like reading it. Why, because it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. The lost world will, you know, make fun and say, oh, you could, listen to me. One of these days, we're gonna be standing there with Jesus and we're gonna look at one another and go, man, we talked about this. It's gonna happen, we're, we talked about this. If you're not saved, you need to get saved right now. Say, so how do I do that? Give your heart to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Ask him to forgive you. See, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. Died on the cross to pay for the sin of the whole world. He died so that anybody could come and be saved. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to worry about the lake of fire. You don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment because you can get saved right now. Now, if you decide not to do that, then you have nobody to blame but yourself. If you die and you end up in front of Jesus and you're on your way to the lake of fire. And understand this. One writer said, When people go to the lake of fire, they're going to a prison that is forever from which there is no escape. Let that sing in for just a minute. I read that this week and I was going to read it to you and I forgot. The writer said, they're going to a prison that is forever and there's no escape. No parole, no rehearing, it's forever. Better choose well now. Come to Jesus right now. Pray and ask him to save you. Would you do that online? Would you do it today? Let's pray. God, what incredible things you reveal to us in your word. And God, we, we don't have the capacity to understand, but God, Holy Spirit, you help us to understand. You open our minds to see and understand. God, thank you for telling us what's gonna happen. Thank you that we can be saved. Thank you, God, that you've saved us and made us part of your family that God, we can rule and reign with you forever. God, there are a lot of people around us who are lost. There's a whole world out there. God, they have no idea. They have no idea what's coming. Help us to be faithful to tell them. Help us, God, to be faithful to share with them so they might be saved. If there's someone here this morning in this place in the balcony, God, down here on the floor, someone who's watching online right now, God, right now in this moment, may they say, God, I surrender my heart to you. God, forgive my sin. Be my Savior. You'll save anybody who will ask. Bless this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand.